Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Big Fall Strength Podcast. I am with you today, as always, Austin Antrim. Today we're gonna today we're gonna talk about coaching. Um, not we're gonna kind of talk about it in this episode, but the there's gonna be a three part segment at least. I'm saying there's going to be a three-part segment now where there are going to be three episodes where we really get into the nitty-gritty of it. I'm going to talk about my own personal experiences, um, and we're going to talk about all the things that really go into coaching and how relatable it is to a lot of things that happen within day-to-day life. So um, this episode is kind of going to be the intro for it. And with that said, with there being an intro for it, um, you know, it's kind of going to usher us into the, the meat, meat and potatoes of, of the segment. So there that is. So without any further ado, I'm going to get us started. So there's a big disconnect in coaching. Uh, with kids nowadays, and there's it's linked to a lot of a lot of problems that um, are affecting not only coaches' success but team success because that's what you that's what you are as a coach. You must first acknowledge that the success you have isn't yours; it is shared. It is all shared success. If you get, you know, and people want to argue with, what about individual awards? What about, you know, all these humanitarian awards? It's like, if you didn't have the kids on the field, if you didn't have those young men or women on, on the court or on the field, whatever, you would have had no way to showcase your skills and abilities as a humanitarian, as coach of the year. Well, they they wouldn't have been able to, you know, win a championship without my playbook. I'm not saying they would have been able to, but as much as as much as you put into it, you are just a variable. You are just a factor. You are just a person doing a job, doing their job in a group of people that are doing their own job to make one functioning machine marching to success, right? So that's going to be the first, uh, you know, takeaway as a coach, if you're listening as a coach, you know, if, if you don't already have that kind of mindset and those kind of morals in your core beliefs, then you know, you should definitely be listening to these, these at minimum three episodes I'm going to be posting. So where, where's the big disconnect? That's the, that's the next big issue that I get asked about. And I tell people all the time, well, you know, a lot of coaches are seeing a lot of guys quit their program or they're seeing a lot of people quit the sport in general. 
or they just don't respect you and they don't listen to you and they just show up but they're not really there to compete and that right there is applicable not only to sports but look at day-to-day life you know I can't you know I'm guilty of it as I worked in manual labor I hated my supervisors I can't tell you a single supervisor I've had that I liked. So it's components of leadership, you know. As a coach, yes, you are a leader. You know, so, and you're, whether you know it or not, you're putting leaders out there into the world. What happens to all the followers you have? Well, if they don't become leaders, they remain followers. Well, what happens when they, you know, they go through days where they're getting yelled at or screamed at, you know? I'm telling you right now, I was a leader. I was a leader in the Army, and we'll get back to that. But I came back to the civilian world, and I was taking entry-level positions. And I'm telling you right now, there were things that my supervisors were doing, not only just to me, but to others, that I would have never done to my soldiers. So, you know, what what happens then? Well, they either, like I said, they either put up with it, but their performance, what their output looks like, their, their what you're able to assess from their output is that they don't care. And they're just stuck. It's like that with sports. It's like that with jobs. Some guys just go through the motions when they know that there's really nothing else they can do to better their environment. You know? It all becomes white noise for them. So, there's that. Where, with that, where are, where are you failing? Well, you have to stop yelling. You, you can't just scream and yell at these kids because what's going to happen is you're going to scream and yell at them at practice and in games and they're going to move on. They're going to go get a job. They're going to get a job where they're getting screamed and yelled at and they're going to do the same thing at that job. You know, we're not teaching our kids how to become leaders. We're not teaching kids how to step up. And that's a big reason why a lot of these workplace environments who have these really, really bad leaders within their organization and their and their and their company, that's why they allow them to stay. That's why they don't get fired when they hear some absurd things going on and being said is because that person has 20 years and they don't know a single person that can they don't know a single person that can do a better job and when you're in business when money is involved you have to think who can I put in here that I can I can at least guarantee myself a hundred percent that they are going to get into that position as a leader And at the very worst, they're going to have the same amount of production and productivity 
is the guy that I'm getting rid of? That's the first question that's asked. Same thing with with sports. This is why you don't see very many change-ups within the roster in the NFL within the season. Is because you're not willing to put some guy... You know, you see it with quarterbacks, but any other position, you're just sitting there and you're like, I'm not willing to roll the dice and put somebody in there I don't know for sure is going to do the job. So how does that apply to coaches? How does that apply to educators? You have to teach these kids to step up. You have to teach these kids to be confident. You have to teach these kids the importance of certain things and the severity of their consequences. And that's not what's being taught. All that's being all that's being relayed through communication between coaches and educators is just yelling at them, telling telling them everything they're doing wrong. Leaving it to a 16-year-old to sit there and play a guessing game of what he's doing right. Oh, well, if I'm doing everything wrong, then tomorrow I'm going to come in there and I'm going to be a completely changed person. They change themselves based upon what they think you want. They get in there, they get screamed and yelled at again because they got rid of all the good things that they had going. You're not teaching them how... You're not teaching them distribution. You're not teaching them organization. So... Like I said, this is on all levels. This is on academic level. Don't give me... You know, teachers... Teachers don't care. At least in my experience. I know some people have different experiences. This And this is where we're going to go into story time. Where it's not really necessarily about coaching. But it is about the things I've learned to help me as a coach. Right? I'll start with a brief introductory, introductory, you know, to elementary, into middle school, how that was like, and then we'll get into high school and after high school. In elementary school, uh, in the third grade, right, I get told I was going to be either held back or I had to do summer school. Well, at least my parents got told that. So... I didn't agree with the fact that I was made part of the choice because had had I actually got had somebody actually listened to what I was saying, I would have been held back and I would have graduated at 19 instead of 18. You know, I'm not old enough to make that decision for myself. You know, I'm I'm not mature enough to make that decision. So, I, I disagreed with that part, but here's my thing. I tried. 
I, I, I didn't know anything was wrong until the end of the year when we started doing parent-teacher parent-teacher conferences. And that's my thing. Is like, I... I didn't know what I was doing wrong. And it is hard to tell, uh, you know, a kid who isn't mature and, you know, a young kid what they're doing wrong and how to fix it. And I'm not going to get into that because that's a completely different world, you know, coaching and teaching younger children. Um, But, you know, there are better ways. And I, I know what my approach would be, so... Anyway, that's what started it all, you know, and then I get this bad image of myself as, you know, kind of a bad academic student. I wasn't smart, you know, I I felt as if I was not as smart as everybody else, you know, and back then, or at least when I was that age, you think that, you know, everybody is a certain level of smartness and there's a cap for it, and once you meet that cap, you can't go any higher. Right, and obviously now it's a little different because I'm older and I've matured, and I I know I've had multiple discussions about it. You know, it, nobody's no, but not everybody is the same level of intelligence, and you know, and oftentimes, you know, a kid with a 2.0 grade point average can be smarter than a kid with a 4.0 grade point average in some certain aspect or some certain topic, right? So, anyway, fast forward to middle school. In middle school, um, you know, I got to the fifth grade and I was trying really hard, you know, I just... I, I wasn't intentionally trying to fail, you know, any of my classes, really. It's just I didn't really understand it. And, you know, when a teacher has 40 kids, yeah, it's it's hard. It's 40 kids within each class, and there's eight, eight classes a day. It's hard to accomplish reaching every child. I understand that. Here's my thing. I do not remember a single teacher who, keep in mind, is a woman or a man who is supposed to be monitoring the grades of each and every one of her classes and the and the students within those classes, the overall grades. She has the detector, yet didn't decide to dig any farther into it. You know, the metal detector's going off. Hey, you've got kids, kids who are struggling and kids aren't, kids who aren't doing so good. Maybe you ought to touch base with them and try to understand where they're coming from and what they don't understand. That never happened. Not a single one of my teachers did that. Now, keep in mind, I'm still going to school in the early, in the early ages of no child left behind right and given people some teachers don't believe in no child left behind and I understand that you know I get that but 
the purpose of No Child Left Behind is essentially, and it's going to sound bad, but it's, it's essentially, I don't care how well everyone else is doing. If one single person strays away from the group, we are all stopping until we get that person called. Right? That's the that's what it is. People argue. No, that's what it is. And it, it it's it had good intentions, but it's just unrealistic. So now we need to, you know, you need to adjust from that. You know, we have. I think I can't remember what it is now. But anywho, I'm struggling. And this will really tell you the difference of the time and how how hardened of a place, you know, where I'm from, how hardened it is and how calloused it is, you know, especially academically. They took every kid who I think if you had a C minus average or below, right? If you had a C, I think it was like a C minus average or below, they they pulled all those kids into the gym. The kids who got a C plus or above, I honestly don't even think it's a C minus. I think if you didn't have A's and B's in every class and you had C's, then I think that's I think that's when it was like okay you know whatever anyway let's just say C's and below right everybody who was B's and above had a pizza party having a fun time had all these games you know in the cafeteria in the rec area and it was towards the end of the school day and they pulled all the kids who were C's and below and just ripped into us telling us how it was unexcusable and we should be ashamed of ourselves and and uh, you know things of that nature so you know with all that being said you know they just tore like the, the vice principal just utterly tore into us he's like y'all should be ashamed of yourselves and blah 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 this and blah 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 that and you guys don't this is why the other kids are getting pizza. You guys don't deserve pizza. And you don't deserve nice things until you get your grades up. And, you know, looking back on it now, I realize how ridiculous it is. But that's the kind of time I I grew up in. Everybody says, you know, the 2000s kids are when, you know, kids start getting really soft. And I don't really think that. I think that it's, I think it's all very area like state area and school size dependent you know where where are you from you know and I think it's I think yeah for the majority of the nation if we're gonna say that you know all these quote unquote 2000 generation this younger generation or whatever the hell you want to call it you know I hated being grouped in with soft kids, especially after high school. Like, they'd have these, you know, anyway, 
we'll get to that one later. So, anyway, so I'm going back upstairs because I'm in a middle school where we're upstairs. My locker's upstairs. I'm gathering my things, and I'm highly upset. Like, I'm emotional. I'm, I'm crying, you know, and I'm not ashamed of that. I'm, I was upset because I felt that I had let somebody down. I had felt that I, I had tried my hardest, my absolute hardest, and I let somebody down. And as a kid, I can tell you, I was trying. I, you don't, you don't. I don't think any kid ever really truly attempts to get bad grades. You know, there's a lot of things that don't get taken into consideration. If mom is a single mom, and I'm not saying my mom was, I'm just saying that I had kids that I grew up with that were like this. If the, if mom is a single mom and she's a junkie who, you know, just works barely enough to get the bills paid, do you think she's going to help her 11-year-old kid with homework? And my answer to you is hell no. So what options does that kid have? What opportunity does that kid have? You know, I, I came from a pretty rough home life. You know, my my dad was an alcoholic, and there were some other things in play there. And you know, I things were there were it was just a mess. You know, and so, but you know, I still got support from my mom she tried helping me and with my homework and everything and to feel so ashamed of myself that I was pushed into tears because I felt that I wasn't good enough even though I was trying my hardest and that's where that's one of the most important parts as an educator you can't allow that as an educator you need to be able to let go of the fact that some kids you aren't going to be able to reach some kids. But that does not mean you should stop trying. It means that at the end of the day, there are things as a teacher that you can't control. There are things as an administrator you can't control. Does that mean they're a bad person? That they didn't pass your class? Does that mean they're going to turn out to be, you know a criminal or a burden on society whatever you're going to call it no because let me tell you I was on track and and so far I haven't landed in prison I haven't got busted I haven't gone to jail so you know Anyway, I'm getting ready to put my stuff away, and we have this science teacher, and this is where I'm going to get a little vulgar. She's a younger, she's the youngest out of all my teachers. She 
was a stuck up person. She had a daughter who was a grade above me. Her her whole family, like her 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 immediate family is related to that school inside and out. I think her husband was a basketball coach. She was a girls basketball coach. Um, you know, she was a bitch. Like she taught she taught science. She she acted as if you know people if kids didn't pass her science class that you know you're gonna it, then that's gonna weed out the winners and losers of the world. You know that's how she acted. She was just she was stuck up and she did things. She I truly believe she was a teacher that taught for herself. And for the for the satisfaction of knowing that she gets to look down on all these other people as she teaches. As if, you know, nobody's ever going to be smarter than her anyway. I think that's the way she looked at it. I think she got satisfaction out of it. She comes out and she looks at me as I'm crying tells me to man up like yells at me she says oh my god you need to man up and I was just dumbfounded and that's what really broke that's what's really going to lay down the the structure of why I did not care for my teachers and why I do not why I didn't respect them throughout the rest of my time in academia at least up to this point so she tells me that and I get I I can't even explain how I felt. I was just like, are you kidding me? Like, that's how I felt. I was like, I'm not, I felt, I was like, I, you're, so you mean to tell me I'm not allowed to make mistakes. I'm not allowed to, you know, that's how it felt. It was like, you need to be perfect at everything. And if you're not perfect at everything, we're just going to shit on you. That's how it was. That's the kind of academic and learning environment I grew up in. Those were the kind of leaders I had. So I was just like, you know what, whatever. You know, whatever. It's fine. Went home, whatever. Called mom. My mom called the school voiced her opinion obviously nothing happened I don't even think I got an apology it was just you know pushed under the rug so this is when I was like you know what school doesn't care about me I don't care about school you know that you're gonna take a, a let and you gotta remember I'm 11 years old and this is what really started getting me to grow up faster than what I should have I was like, you know what? I don't think that 
you know, dad uses what he learned from science class at work. And yeah, sure, he's an alcoholic, but those are for his own reasons. As a working person, he does not need science. So what the hell do I need science for? You know, so I stopped, I stopped caring. I start, I stopped giving two shits. And the only reason I got as far as I did is because I put enough into what I was doing to pass. That was it. I knew enough to get C's. I knew enough to get the hell out, essentially. That's how I got pushed forward. Well, so I had my fill of teachers. I get to the 6th and 7th grade. My 6th grade year, before my dad had um, left and whatever... My sixth grade year, I got into my first fight. Um, We were having some kind of recess day. And we had the recess day. And this kid in my grade, I'd never even heard of him before. And we are all playing basketball, whatever. I shot the ball. I missed. And it hit the wall. And it started rolling across the court so I go to the other end of the court I go to pick up my ball and right as I turn this like this kid kicks the ball right up into my face because I bent over to grab it kicks the ball right up into my face it was completely deliberate I had no I'd done nothing to this kid I'd done nothing I went and I picked up the damn ball. And this kid comes and kicks the ball right up into my fucking grill. And within split seconds, right, I just remember thinking this. You know what? Fuck this. That's all that was going through my head is fuck this. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done being mistreated. I... I punched him, broke his nose, whatever. Fucking got ISS. Wouldn't be my first time. And then, you know, my mom took everything out of my room, which is ironic because she always told me to stand up for myself. I did nothing to this kid. Um, She took everything out of my room. And... I was so mad at her. I was just like, are you kidding me? Not even going to wonder about, you know, my side of the story. What happened? You're just going to punish me anyway? All right, whatever. I I said, you know, I was like, I guess I have it coming. You know, I guess. You know, I should have just walked away. You know, I should have been more saint-like and thought about what Jesus would have done. You know, and just walked away. But I ain't, I ain't Jesus. You know. So that blew over real quick, and then I got to my seventh grade year, and that's when things really came to a head. I had learned a few things, you know, and I, 
I really gave an effort to try and improve on all these things. I took what I learned and tried to apply it in every sense of my day-to-day life. You know, don't be going and hitting, you know, fighting shouldn't be your first response. Okay, cool. You know. So, you know, uh, I decided that, you know, I, I was going to be a different person. One day at lunch, this kid was flicking Sherbert, and he's trying to hit one of the dudes at my lunch table, and he kept hitting me, because he missed. And I was just like, I was getting, I was getting mad. My buddies were laughing at me, and I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm just not gonna, I'm not gonna do nothing. You know, the, the, it is kind of funny because, you know, I, I'm not the one that's supposed to have sherbet on my head, but I am. You know, so we, we'll get over it. You know. So I went over to him and I said, hey. I said, could you please stop flicking Sherbert at my table? I said, because you keep hitting me in the head, and I don't really appreciate it much. You know, whether you mean to or not, I I don't like it. So I just wanted to come over here and politely ask you to stop. That's how I said it. You know, and... He just looks at me, and he's like, he laughs, and he says, okay, you know. He proceeds to get up and dump the whole canister of sherbet onto my head after I had asked him to stop. I was, and this is the point where I was just like, you know what, I don't care anymore. I don't care if I have to spend the rest of my life without TV, without books, without a desk, without without sheets, without anything. I don't care anymore. I do not care. I got up, I punched him square in the nose, blood just starts gushing out, and he was sitting there crying proceeded to tell me oh that didn't hurt and I just laugh and I'm like you ain't gotta lie to me dude I know it hurts you know and I went down to the office I sat in the chair and I told the secretary because she asked me why I was there I said you're gonna get a call in about 30 seconds to a minute you know and she's like okay and lo and behold two seconds later gets a call I go into you know the principal's office he starts chewing me out and yelling at me and telling me how what I did was wrong and he's gonna tell my mom and all this other crazy stuff and I'm just like I don't care like go for it I knew what I was getting into as soon as I did it so you're not telling me anything that's scaring me I've already gone through it in my head I I know what I did you know, and this time mom didn't drag all of my shit out, you know, but I did get suspended from school and I got in trouble and 
that's when I that's when I realized that it that's the leadership example for me. I, it's a longer story than I had wanted it to be, but that's the kind of leadership that's your introduction to what leadership is. Looking up to somebody that's supposed to be teaching you things. You know, so I I had problem with authority. I had problem with every because I didn't it wasn't because that I thought that I should be the one in charge. It was because I didn't think they truly had my best interest at heart. And that's something as a leader you need to have for all the people that you're leading. So, get into high school. You know, I was I was a mediocre student. I did enough to pass my classes. I didn't care. Um, I wanted to go to college, but I didn't. Uh, I wanted to go play football in college, and I didn't do that. I got hurt, and I just said, you know what? I'm just going to go work. You know, that's always been the plan. And then... I decided I was going to go to the army. And this is the important the most important part of the whole episode right here because it's going to lay it's going to it's going to lay the groundwork from which I built my leadership, morals, values, my my core beliefs. This is where it all happened. You know, I had never been extremely good at anything in my life until I joined the army you know and so I joined the army and you know we had a lot you know that it you go through it's hard to degrade a person that's been being degraded his whole life you know it's hard to sit there and tell him anything he hasn't heard before. So I guess it was a little bit easier for me to develop. And it was it was a faster thing for me to develop in the Army than what it was for others. Um, you know, I didn't... It, just, it was nothing new. So... I get, you know, I'm, I'm roughly a year in, sorry, I'm driving one over train tracks, I'm roughly a year into my service, and I get bumped to a leadership position, I took everything I could think of that was so bad about every interaction I've had with teachers, with coaches, with mentors, with the administration workers. I took everything they did and I cut it completely out. I did. What that allowed me to do, I never would have expected. But I was able in the two years that of my three-year contract that I was a leader. 
I developed four other leaders that would go on to be leaders within the same platoon. And some of them would even go on to stay in the army and, you know, progress. And, you know, and I think the farthest, the farthest one I I have, he's an E5 and he re, he's a sergeant and he decided to change his, his, uh, his MOS, you know. He decided that now he wants he wants to work in intelligence. So my thing with that is is without my morals, without my beliefs, it would have never been done. And the the thing that's most impressive about it is I never to be a hard slotted leader in the army, you have to have rank. You know, I was, I wasn't technically a hard slotted leader. I was not getting paid for the things I did as a leader as to where sergeants and E5s, they do, they get that little pay raise. Um, I didn't get any of that. I didn't get promoted to sergeant. I went as far as specialist and then I got out. As a specialist, I rose four dudes up to be leaders who would then in turn raise a few guys their own to grow up and be leaders. And the thing about that is, is that's four dudes in two years' time. There were guys that I there were leaders there were hard slotted sergeants that couldn't do that with more guys because they would have teams I was on a gun team so and I was a senior AG assistant gunner so I was in charge of everybody there's at most four dudes in the team there is five five guys in a team and out of all the dudes I raised the most I put the most leaders back I I put more back into it than what I got out and that to me is one of my proudest achievements because I did all that without having the rank I did all that without you know, having to put a lot of time into the army. I did all that in a short amount of time. I showed people that if you do it differently, it can be done better. And that's one of the things that I'm most proud of is that, you know, some people are starting to realize like, oh, this, this kid's onto something. Like maybe if I, maybe if I actually sit down and talk with my guys get to know them a little better instead of just sitting there and playing you know perfectionist and expecting them to be the best you know doing all this negative toxic shit maybe I could be better you know and that's and that's what I'm proud of you know and the army didn't 
the army taught me how smart I really was. My whole life I'd been told, I, you know, you're never going to go to college. You're never going to be smart enough. You're never going to amount to anything other than, you know, mediocrity. You're going to work in a factory. You're going to just, that's going to be who you are. And when I got to the army, it really set the tone. It really showed me I'm more than that. You know, I, I might not have known it, but I am. I was. I always have been. I had the potential. So, it, the, it took going through scrutiny, took marching a mountain of everybody going and pushing and throwing against you, throwing, you know, throwing rocks down the hill as you're going down the hill. And, you know, I had a lot of people up on top of that hill throwing things down at me. And when I finally got to the top of that hill, it was, it, it was amazing. And I was just like, I think back to all those kids that are like me. I think back to, you know, kids who aren't necessarily like me, but are going through similar things or worse things. And how can we be better? How can we put better people into the world? Um, and that's, that's my primary focus right there as a coach. And I've used it and it's effective. It's super effective. And that's what we're going to be talking about in these next two episodes is exactly what it is and the components that go into all that, you know. Like I said, people told me I was never going to go to college. I get out of the army, I'm going to college right now. You know, ironically, I'm going for physical education so that I can be a uh, strength coach um, as well as I'll be receiving a minor in coaching and I'll be receiving a minor in exercise science. You know, and given I still have a pretty far road to go, but I'm learning. I I was counted out before I was even given a chance. And the cool thing about it all is I I give myself my own chance, and I think of every decision I've made, and I think about. Every, th- every, th- every decision that if I would have made a different decision on, on certain things within my life, would I be where I am today? There's no room for error. There's not a single decision I made that doesn't lead up to this. And had I made a different decision, I might not be here. I might not be sitting here talking on, on this subject at all. And that's the beautiful thing is I, I, I made it happen. But the scary thing is, is imagine how many kids out there are making, are trying to work for their own success, for their own validation, for, for their, for their voice. They're fighting for their voice to be valid. And they just make one small decision that alters the whole entire process. I think about that a lot. And I'm just like, so no sh- no kid should ever have to go through what I went through in order to get to where I am today. 
it should be a lot more easier. The question is, is what are we doing to make it easier?